Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town with more of our 30th anniversary celebration with a look at 1994, featuring Michael McDonald, John Hammond, Doc Watson, Rosie Flores, the Latin Playboys, Ted Hawkins, and more. I'm Helen Forster. Here's our host, Nick Forster. Thanks, Helen. Welcome, everybody, to E-Town as we continue to celebrate our 30 years on the air by featuring some of the magical moments from our archives. This stuff has not been heard anywhere in decades, and many of the guests featured in this series are no longer with us, making these songs even more rare and special. I hope you've enjoyed our first few episodes. We are moving on up in time so quickly. Today, it's our 1994 season. By this time, we were feeling like we'd kind of settled into a rhythm with our shows. We'd established E-Town in the minds of the larger music and media world, and lots of artists who made new records were happy to get a slot on an E-Town show to help spread the word about their new songs. We'd also been steady in our commitment to include in all of our shows conversations about sustainability, renewable energy, or climate change. That was our focus then, as it still is. So we're featuring a great conversation today with author and entrepreneur Paul Hawken. But first, music. So much music this week. We're going to start off with three artists who lived in California. All of them were only on E-Town one time, and that was in 1994. The Latin Playboys, Rosie Flores, and up first, Ted Hawkins, the singer who was born in Biloxi, Mississippi in 1936. He spent much of his life incarcerated in various places for various reasons, but he eventually became a well-known figure around Venice Beach, where he was a busker singing for many years on an upside-down milk crate. And um, he finally got a major label record deal, and he recorded a great record that came out in 1994. His career seemed like it was taking off finally, but the following year, 1995, he died of a stroke at the age of 58. We were lucky enough to have him visit us right after his record came out. Here's my visit with Ted Hawkins on stage at E-Town from 1994. Ted Hawkins is still out here on stage with us. Um, Ted, you've had a tough time. You've had a hard life. Yes. From what yes. I, I read some of your bio, and you've, uh, you've been through some tough times. Yes, there's nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing good to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't think of anything good. <laughs> well, I can, think of, uh, I can think of one good thing that I read about, which anyway, which is a time you were, uh, I think you might have been even in uh, reform school at the time, but you, uh, mm -hmm. Professor Longhair came by and played some music. Yes, yes, that was a good thing for me because yeah. I got a chance to leave Biloxi and go to a, a home for little bad boys, you know. Uh, Oakley Training School, about 24 miles on the other side of Jackson, Mississippi. Tell me about what happened to you when you saw Professor Long here play music. He was a real good guy. Uh, he uh, played, he was an excellent uh, piano player. He was very proper, you know, real good man. And I was caught singing to some kids on the campers. They used to, you know, bug me all the time about sing, sing, Ted, sing, Ted. And I try to sing, you know, and they seem to like it. But Professor Longhair, you know, uh, saw it and took me to Miss Williams. And that's the, uh, Professor G.W. Williams' uh, wife. She played the piano a lot in the chapel, you know, for the preachers that come there and preach to us, yeah. you know, on Sundays. And it was real... Great. She um, taught me how to, to sing, you know, uh, bring it from my stomach and stuff like that. And Professor Longhair had a song that's called Somebody's Knocking at Your Door. And he took me to Jackson, and she was with me. 
And um, I was standing and people was out there just like you guys are now. And I was scared to death. My little legs was like rubber, you know. And um, I said, she said, what's the matter? I said, Miss William, those people out there, they got eyes and they're going to look at me with them. <laughs> and and, and um, she said, it's all right. It's okay. It's all right. And they called my name. My heart was, was in my neck. You know, I was close to tears, and, and uh, my legs started itching and stuff like that. I was scared to death. And she shelved me. And if Miss William hadn't shelved me, I wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> now, I don't know if a lot of people tell you this or not, but when I hear you sing, I don't know whether it's some of the sand and the wind from Venice Beach that gives you that kind of gravelly tone, but it sounds also like a, reminds me of Sam Cooke. Did you listen to a lot of Sam Cooke when you were growing up? I love Sam Cooke then, and I love Sam Cooke now. You know, it's just like so many people still love Elvis Presley. Sam is still in my heart. There's no room for nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> Period. I'm crazy about that man. Yeah. Even now. It still sounds like you, though. I don't be trying to, to, to sound like Sam. Yeah. You know, I be just saying, it's just, I guess he's in my heart, so, you know, I guess the, the spirits want to dwell in somebody anyway after they, they leave here. Mm. Well, you have a lot of stories. You have a lot of... Uh... A lot of history, and it comes out. Very happy once again to have you on the show. Please welcome to E-Town for his first visit, Mr. Ted Hawkins.
That's Ted Hawkins' Strange Conversation. What a remarkable voice. So glad we were able to have him on E10. Up next, at the time she was living in Los Angeles, Rosie Flores was kind of a rockabilly and Americana singer. She's really from Texas, and she's living there now. Here she is on stage at E-Town in 1994, along with the very talented Greg Lease. friend, Greg Lees. And uh, I'd like to tell you that, uh, I don't know if everybody listening at home on your radio, that Helen has the most beautiful cowboy boots. I don't know, I just had to say that because people listening in their cars or whatever, they can't see them. So here's one called um, West Texas Plains. This is off my uh, first high tone record, which was after the farm. And here it is now. Lonesome star in a big Texas sky Finds my heart in trouble tonight I rode all the way out here to discover That the one I really love has found another And this little town is full of romance for me Now all I see are small dusty streets But the music still pulls at my heart Should I stay Back in the car Out on the West Texas Plains You never know when the winds will change Maybe if I stay this pain will blow away Out on the West Texas Plains Pick at a different table for the view 
and the stars will shine just as bright And maybe time will settle the dust And is there room in this town for both of us? Texas Plains You never know When the winds Will change Maybe if I stay This pain will blow And blow away Out on the west Texas Plains Out on the west Texas Plains Out on the west Texas That's Rosie Flores with the song West Texas Plains, along with Greg Lease. We're now moving on to a, another L.A.-based musical group. This one is kind of a super group. The Latin Playboys included two members of Los Lobos, Louis Perez and David Hidalgo, along with their friends Chad Blake and Mitchell Froom. Their record started out as a demo on a four-track cassette machine and became a kind of celebrated atmospheric record that was really influential. But the band never really went on tour here they are from their one and only performance on E-Town from 1994, The Latin Playboys. Thanks a lot, folks. This is a lot of fun for us because we've, uh, before yesterday, we never even tried to, you know, play this stuff live, so it's, it's a first for us, dude. It's a, a lot of fun. <laughs> Clouds of joy 
Playboys, David Hidalgo, Louis Perez, Mitch Froome, Chad Blake, Victor Bassetti. The world premiere of the Latin Playboys. We've got lots more music coming up after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. Nick Forster, welcome back to our special show featuring a very few, select few special moments from our 1994 season as we continue to recognize 30 years of E-Town on the air. Coming up, we've got music from Michael McDonald, The Story, John Hammond Jr., Doc Watson, and more. But first, here's my conversation with Paul Hawken. He's the legendary activist, author, and entrepreneur whose most impactful book, The Ecology of Commerce, had just come out. And it basically introduced a generation of business people to the idea of factoring in environmental impact when thinking about the real cost of goods. This is On Stage at E-Town from 1994. Would you please welcome Mr. Paul Hawken. 
So, Paul, first of all, what kind of shape are we in? What's the result of our history of extractive industry uh, as it's been practiced up to now? World Watch, Lester Brown, um, patiently tells us every year for the last, I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years, that basically every living system on the planet is in decline and in some cases rapid decline. It means that we're going to have a crisis. It means either inside as people, as a culture, as a community, or we'll have an actual crisis. But in some way, it's precipitating a realization globally, as I say, and locally, that something has to change. And why do you think that uh, business is the vehicle that's going to bring about that kind of change as opposed to government? Well, first of all, there's so many of them. There's 80 to 100 million businesses in the world. They do $21 trillion a year, and they are the dominant institution of this in the century to come. And really, there's two dominant systems uh, in our lives, natural systems and commercial systems. And that dialogue or that conversation is really what I'm interested in, the ecology of commerce. Why is it that we have an economic system where it's cheaper to degrade things than it is to take care of it in real time? Because we all know that isn't the truth. It's cheaper to take care of things, our bodies, our houses, our cars, anything in real time. If you factor in all the, the hidden costs. Let's get back to what you think business can do to change this. I mean, you propose doing some pretty radical stuff, including uh, essentially eliminating or phasing out taxes as we know them. Well, what I'm saying is that really those hidden costs, those external costs, what economists call, have to be, in a sense, put back there in the marketplace, at the gas pump, at the prices, on the shelves, so people can see them. When they see those, and that's where we're collecting our taxes, what happens is, organically produced food, sustainable agriculture, sustainable timber harvesting, etc., show up as less expensive alternatives. Alternative energy is much less expensive. A barrel of oil from Kuwait today costs you and me $92 a barrel when you factor in the Defense Department defending the sea lanes. At $92 a barrel, every single form of alternative energy is cheaper, except we're only paying a dollar and a quarter at the gas pump. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. In case you've just joined us, I'm speaking with Paul Hawken, who's the author of a new book called Ecology of Commerce. Paul, how would you regulate the kinds of changes that you're talking about? Government is there to set standards. Politics, in the Aristotelian sense, is to set the conditions for the community to take care of the life of its people. And it does that by setting standards. Then business can work it out how to do it. It doesn't need command and control regulations. Those standards have to be at our borders as well so that people coming in with pink hard pesticide-laced tomatoes from other countries like Mexico have to meet our standards. And right now, what we're doing is rewarding the polluters outside of this country, punishing the people who are doing the right thing here. The fact is, the organic farmer is taking care of his or her land in real time, and we are not rewarding them for it. It's a bad deal. We've got to change that with our tax system. So again, back to this sort of systemic change. You, um, you must be a very optimistic guy. I mean, this is heady stuff, this is big stuff, and you really expect that these kinds of changes can take place. Absolutely. In yeah. fact, my criticism of environmentalists, and I'm one of them, 
is that too many of them are still acting as if they're going to lose and they're going to be right when the ship goes down. And what I'm saying is that in our lifetime, I mean, we are in the age of reformation and we will see political reformation, we will see educational reform, and we are going to see ecological reform in our lifetime. And we better stop thinking that it won't happen and design how this country, how this world is going to work in a sustainable future because it's going to happen so fast. And what you're seeing is in communities, states, the federal government, the President's Council for Sustainable Development. People are forming groups, councils, and what's so great about it is instead of having environmentalists, bless their hearts, I'm, you know, present the problems to a community or culture and say, you know, fix it, what's happening is people in industry, teachers, children, educators, you know, entertainers, uh, scientists and so forth are coming together and defining the problems together because when they define it together they own it when you own the problem together then you're working off the same page solutions come forth from that kind of process that's beginning to happen everywhere in this country it's very very heartening yeah great well thanks for being here with us in Etown this week once again guest has been mr. Paul Hawken his new book is called the ecology of commerce Paul Hawken thank you Thank you, Paul Hawken. Both inspiring and a little depressing at the same time to think how current all of that conversation is today. Okay, we're going to get back to music. Up next, a great singer and songwriter who became really well-known with the Doobie Brothers. Here's Michael McDonald on an E-Town Roadshow, the first one we recorded in Fort Collins, Colorado, at the Lincoln Center back in 1994. Michael McDonald is still here with us, playing a little piano, singing great songs. As a survivor of the 70s music scene, uh, what do you do to keep yourself in good voice and in good health and stuff like that? I live a lot tamer life these days. Uh, I don't know. I, I find that, uh, you know, we've been working a lot and uh, just keeping at it is what keeps us going. It's yeah. still fun and we, we have a good time with it. Have you been or are you now a, uh, a surfer guy? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a pretty sight, but I, I, I do. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's one that people have to endure on the beaches of Santa Barbara. So. And uh, have you been doing that a long time? Uh, actually, about six years now. Yeah. Surfing, yeah. That seems like a tough sport to start, especially uh, you know, later in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that for me. Uh, uh, no, it was kind of a tough sport to learn. It's a lot, lot like golf, you know, it takes a little while, you know. But at least, yeah, never mind. I won't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to surf one time, and I actually could stand on the surfboard, but it was getting off that was hard yeah. uh, for some reason. I'm still working on that. Yeah. yeah. How's the water there in Santa Barbara? They well, like, uh, like all coastal areas, it's uh, always under siege, you know. And we, you know, uh, I would have to say that in California, probably... Uh, foremost in the conscience of the people in the state uh, is the oceans and the fact that, um, you know, we live in a world where big industry wants to exercise what they think is an inalienable right to make a buck and give us back what's left in terms of our skies and our oceans. And um, so it's, uh, it's a battle that's not going to get any easier in the future, but uh, it's great to see people starting to celebrate the idea that uh, we actually have something to say about it. And, yeah. Uh, it's great to be here for that reason. Well, thank you. Yeah. 
very much. Michael McDonald. Bernie Charvoli on guitar, along with the E-Tones, Hazel Miller. Thank you, Michael McDonald, along with Bernie Charvelli and our house band, the E-Tones. I have to say that for our rhythm section especially, they loved playing the Doobie Brothers songs because they'd played in cover bands before, and they actually got to play this time with the guy who sang it on the record. Huge thrill. And they did a great job. They sounded really good. Up next... Jonathan Brooke and Jennifer Kimball met in college. They played as a duo around Boston. They made a record that was picked up by a major label, and they came to play E-Town shortly thereafter. They broke up the following year, so this was their one and only time on E-Town. Each of them came back afterwards in their solo careers, but here's their short-lived band, The Story, from the stage at E-Town in 1994. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here in E-Town. We love E-Town. So 
much mine, so much mine. Thank you very much. That's the story, Jonathan Brook and Jennifer Kimball with their song, So Much Mine. Up next, somebody who grew up around the music business. His dad was a famous producer, an A&R guy for Columbia Records, who discovered and signed artists like Billie Holiday and Aretha Franklin and Bob Dylan and even Stevie Ray Vaughan. He was also a civil rights activist all his life. So his son, whom we're about to hear, fell in love with the blues as a teenager, and he is one of the few white performers who, to my ear, really digested the music whole. He studied it closely, and then he made it his own. He traveled all around the world playing acoustic blues for years. Here he is, John Hammond Jr., on stage at E-Town from 1994. Right now, John Hammond is still out here with us. So, John, what happened the first time you heard uh, Robert Johnson? Well, I thought that uh, I'd never heard anyone sound like that before. Uh, this, this, I was a blues fan and had heard, I guess, uh, hundreds of artists, you know, and he just stood out as uh, the synthesis of his generation or, or the genre of his style playing. He yeah. was just fantastic. How old were you when that happened? Uh, 15. 15. Has he been the kind of the, the guy that you, you uh, sort of reached towards more than anyone else? Well, he was my, my major inspiration to actually start playing professionally. Uh, to, I, I really, when I heard his unique sound, I decided that I wanted to, uh, to strive for something like that. And uh, he's still an inspiration. Yeah, me. and uh, fortunately, thanks in, in part to some of the things you've been doing, he's actually, uh, let's see, what do we know, 50 years? No. Yeah, 50 years after his death, just about, something like that. Almost 60. Almost 60, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's, Robert Johnson's been going through a little bit of a revival here lately. I mean, a couple of years ago, his compilation CD was on the charts, and you narrated a, a thing for PBS, a search for Robert Johnson. Which Not exactly for PBS. It was um, an independent film production thing that's mm. um, available on video. Ah. <laughs> Anyway, I think uh, it's powerful music, and, it's, and you're probably responsible as much as anyone else for introducing uh, this kind of music to a new audience. I know you get to a lot of places. I look at your itinerary sometimes in these little uh, industry news magazines, and man, you work hard. You're out there a lot. Twelve months a year, every year. <laughs> yeah, all over the world. Yes, that's right. I've, I've had a, the great good fortune to uh, be able to go out and... Uh, and play anywhere in the world, and it's um, an amazing world out there. And yeah. uh, uh, the more you get out, the more you, you realize how connected everything is. And, uh, and, you know, Americans tend to think of themselves as isolated, but everyone's connected, and being on this show, um, everyone is aware of how uh, interrelated and connected and how important it is for, to take care of our resources. Yeah. And our uh, cultural resources like the blues. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do for us? I'm going to do a tune that uh, was written by Sleepy John Estes, and uh, it's called Drop Down Mama.
Down Mama by John Hammond. We will be back with more music as we head down to North Carolina after this break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town.
I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like WXRV, The River, in Boston, Massachusetts, on KGLP in Gallup, New Mexico, and on WMSV in Starkville, Mississippi. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want more information about E-Town, there's all kinds of stuff online at etown.org. Okay, 1994 was a big year for us here at E-Town. We were invited to record a couple of shows at a great festival that I'd performed at many times with my band Hot Rise, Merlefest. It's in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. It was named after the son of legendary North Carolina musician Doc Watson, Merle Watson, who was killed in a farm accident when he was only 36 years old. The festival supported a local college and the Garden of the Senses that offered braille descriptions of the plants that were in there. We captured some great music at Merlefest that year, and... We're going to start out with one of my favorite bands, the Nashville Bluegrass Band, at E-Town from Burlfest, 1994. I heard that whistle when I heard you speak Felt that rumble underneath my feet I knew I'd bought myself a first-class seat on the blue train Break it down and leave me flat I saw it coming but I turned my back I feel like a nickel on the railroad track Here comes the blue train Nashville Bluegrass Band. Pat Enright, 
Roland White, Gene LeBay, Alan O'Brien, Stuart Duncan on the fiddle. NBB, the Nashville Bluegrass Band with Blue Train. When most people think about bluegrass music or even old-time string band music, they don't think about the African roots of the banjo, and that's, of course, where the banjo came from. But there was a strong tradition of African-American string band music in this country, and at this show at Merlefest, we had booked literally the last living examples of that tradition for our show. Joe and Odell Thompson. We were unable to feature them, as you're just about to hear. We were able to find Mike Seeger, who's really one of the few people in the world who could replicate some of that sound. He's the legendary co-founder of the New Lost City Ramblers. And so let's go back to the stage at Merlefest, 1994. I just want to mention something that... Uh, Slightly hard to talk about, but I'm, I want to tell everybody that some of you may have noticed that, that uh, Mike was a recent addition to the program. We're very happy that he was here at the festival and able to join us today. But we had originally scheduled uh, Joe and Odell Thompson to be on this program, and uh, the, the, the weirdest uh, tragic accident last night, uh, Odell Thompson, who's 84 years old, was hit by a car and killed. And uh, it's kind of like, it's hard to talk about, it's hard not to talk about. And I just want you all to know that, that we were very much looking forward to having those guys on the program today. And it was a very much also a, a part of why certainly most of us are in this kind of music, is that there have been older people who've hung on to these little threads of traditional music, these little threads of their old traditions, and kept them alive and kept playing. And, and people like Mike Seeger, who's gone out and, and found a lot of people in their homes and tape recorded them and kept those traditions going. So uh, I think it's very appropriate that you're here, Mike. And sorry that Joe and Odell couldn't be here with us this week. It's true that uh, our American music is American largely, in fact, mostly because of the mixture of the African-American and English-American traditions. And the banjo, in a way, is a good indication of that. And so is this song. The banjo came to this country um, looking something like this. This is a new new one that we made after African-American um, paintings of African-American people playing the banjo, or as they used to call it, the banjo. And, uh, and I like to try to play it in a style very close to Odell's, Odell Thompson's, the knock-in old African-American style. And this song is English and also African-American. I've heard black people and white people play this tune. I'd like to do it especially in remembrance of Odell Thompson, the cuckoo bird. Gonna build me a log cabin on the mountain So I, so I can see Willie as she goes riding by Oh, the cuckoo, she's a fine bird Don't she warble as she flies She never all is cuckoo Till the fourth day July Money 
in your little apron can hold. Mike Seeger on a gourd banjo. That's The Cuckoo Bird by Mike Seeker, one of my early heroes and, as I say, co-founder of the influential band New Lost City Ramblers. We are almost out of time, but before we go, we're going to share a brief chat and some music from one of my all-time musical heroes, Doc Watson. Again, from Merlefest, the festival created in honor of his son. I like the way Doc includes Helen's 1994 credits in the song Mama Don't Allow. Here's a part of my conversation with the late legendary musician, Doc Watson. Doc, I want to ask you, you were playing some pretty raucous stuff every now and then. When you, when you really let one go, it, it gets pretty wild. And I, I wanted to ask you about those days when you used to play dance music and you were playing a Les Paul electric guitar and, you know, getting wild in that way. What was that like? Um, I enjoyed the heck out of it, Nick. <laughs> uh, for two reasons. I could bring home a few shekels to help Rosalie with raising the kids. And I got to play some pretty good music with some old boys. They didn't have a fiddler most of the time, and I had to play fiddle tunes on, on the, the electric guitar for people to square dance to. Yeah. And uh, got me some good technical practice out of the deal. <laughs> yeah. But then you had to uh, give up your Les Paul and... and uh, Went back to the good old flat top. Yeah. The one I cut my teeth on, or something close to it. Yeah. And um, do you find that that's the kind, that style of music you've been able to still kind of maintain some of those old songs, some of those old kind of uh, 50s uh, rockabilly things? Well, I can still play some of those things. I've, uh, <clears throat> uh, to some degree, considered doing an album along those lines. Uh, yeah. I can see yeah. it now. If and when I do it, Nick, I'd like to do it with the 50s flavor. Yeah. Dockabilly. <laughs> Nay, brother. <laughs> Let's call it Doc in the 50s, Michael. <laughs> well, now, um, I also want to ask you, it seems like you're doing a kind of a semi-retirement. You're not working as much as you used to. Well, about a tenth, I guess, as much. About a tenth. I've worked harder on this festival this week than I have in months. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Does that, uh, th does that make your whole experience of traveling and playing in different places, that, is it more fun for you now? It's not so grueling? Yeah, uh, it's a lot more fun. I don't like the road. I love the music and I love a good audience. Man, it'd be crazy if you didn't. Mm -hmm. But uh, I like home a whole lot better. Yeah. Well, Doc, glad to have you back. You're going to play with some of the folks from Chesapeake now? Is that what's coming up? Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, well, now, Mama don't like no music played around here. Mama don't want no music played in here. Well, we don't care what your mama allow, gonna play just a little more right now. Mama don't like no music played in here. I said, Mama don't want no credits read in here. Uh, mama don't read, want credits read around here. Miss Helen don't care what mama allows, she's gonna read some credits anyhow. Don't like them there credits, read in here, read them up. 
Speech Town is produced and edited by Nick and Helen Forrester with help from Donna Giardina, Colorado Sound, and Tom Capek. Our program was recorded live this week at the Merle Watson Memorial Festival in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about this week's award winner or interview, or if you have any questions or comments about E-Town, you can write us here at Post Office Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Now I don't want no hot guitar played here. Mama don't want no hot guitar played around here. Brother Jack don't care what your mama does, I'm gonna pick a lick or two or three anyhow. Don't like that there hot guitar picking here, get it son. This is a production of E-Town. Okay, the best of 1994. How about that? Ted Hawkins and Rosie Flores and the Latin Playboys and Michael McDonald and Doc Watson and all the stuff. We are having so much fun going through our archives. It is impossible, as I've said before, to try to squeeze best moments from any given year into one single show. But we're trying our best. Hope you're enjoying it. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.